quick. All right. We have a special next two weeks. Uh, Pastor Zach is going to be covering in a series on worship. And so I'm going to invite him to the pulpit. Would you give him a hand, please? How's it going? I'm going to sit. Is that cool? Awesome. Glad to be with you guys this morning. I had the privilege of being able to teach a bunch of your kids down at youth camp, and that was an awesome time, and I really appreciated it. You guys have some awesome kids. If your kids went down, I thoroughly enjoyed that week of just being able to hang out with them and see them make friendships and grow in Christ. It was just an awesome time. So over the next couple of weeks, it's, I want to first off start by saying that it's really awesome that um, Steve was able to get away this week with his family. This was the last kind of chance they were able to hang out with Kenzie. Kenzie's going to be, you guys take her this Thursday to, to college. So this is uh, obviously Kayla took off a, a few years ago and now Kenzie. So I think uh, it was awesome that Steve was able to get away with his family and enjoy that. And we're excited that um, for Kenzie and her future and everything like that. If, I know a bunch of you have watched her grow up and watched the Mitchells grow up. So we're excited for that. We're going to be spending the next two weeks talking about being bold. And the first thing I thought about when I thought of the word bold, I thought of a sentence. And I thought of one word in that sentence being in a bold font and how it stands out from the rest of the sentence. And I made that relation to us as the church. If that sentence is the world, we are called to be that word that is in bold. We are called to stand out from the world. And that's the first thing I thought of as we went into that. I just realized I left my clicker over here because I'm doing worship as well. So sweet. No, I got my clicker. And as we take a look at that, the first thing I looked at with bold was, well, let's take a look at, um, at being bold in our worship. One of the things, obviously, you know, I'm passionate about is worship, and that's why I lead the worship ministry here. But I think we're really going to be able to dive in today and take a deeper look at what worship is because we all have things in our mind that we think, well, this is what worship is. And that's what I want to stir up a little bit today is, is maybe this is a message that you've heard before and it's just a reminder, or maybe you've never taken a look at worship in this way and today will be a, wow, I need to start doing that. That's what I, my hope is. But let's take a look at the definition of what bold is. It's confident and courageous, fearless. And as I took a look at that, I will be honest that my, my guyness came out right away when I, when I saw confident and courageous, everything in me as a man wants to be that. I want to be confident. I want to be courageous. I want to be fearless. And the reality is our spouses, our kids, they know the areas of our lives that we're not that confident in. And the areas that we struggle, that we, we have fears that we go through. So when we talk about being bold, we have to be willing to open ourselves up and say, hey, there's areas of our lives that we're not that confident in. There's areas of our lives that we want to be courageous in, but we're not. That we want to live fearless, but we don't. So that's the first thing that we have to point out today, is that we have struggles like that. So when we relate that to worship, it can be challenging. Because a lot of times when we come into church on Sunday mornings, we bring a lot of baggage with us. And it's hidden behind our eyes, and it's hidden in our minds and in our hearts. And we put on our friendly faces and we come in and during fellowship time, we say, hey, how's it going? And we go, perfect, how are you? Because we've only got 30 seconds. But in reality, a lot of times, life's not so perfect. But we're not going to spill our guts to somebody that we just met at church. So we're going to do the Facebook thing and make sure that it looks like our lives are perfect. Right? And that's the first part that we have to recognize is our lives aren't perfect. 
In fact, that's the reason why worship is so important is because we're only made perfect through Jesus. And that's the reason that we worship him. I started thinking about bold people. I started thinking, okay, well, there were some people in the Bible that stood out like David. That was pretty bold to stand up against Goliath, especially after the army's been sitting there for 40 days and they've been challenged. Your best versus our best. And their king's not doing anything. And David basically comes out and says, I'm going to do something because I'm confident in who God is. And I'm fearless because I know who God is. And he went out and he took out Goliath because he was bold in his faith. He understood who God was. He understood what God could do. And therefore, he was bold because of it. You look, to, you look at Paul's life. You look at him spreading the word and getting stoned and thrown into prison. It's nothing. Nothing hindered him. It's not like he didn't have struggles. We, we see that he's, he had struggles in his life, but he kept coming back out and he kept preaching the word of God to people. I mean, most of us have never been in a situation like that where we've had to be that bold with our faith. A lot of the times in our faith, we've, we've had to watch our words or something in a situation or, or we felt like at work we stood up and we, we were bold for our faith. And that's all good. But really, when we relate it to some of these guys' lives in the Bible that really were put to death for what they believed in, we get a whole new picture of what being bold is. I look at Abraham and God asking him to sacrifice his son and him having the confidence in God. And the faith in God that God would provide, that he wasn't willing to let even a family member, his kid that he cares so much about, get in the way of his relationship with God. And I started looking at uh, people like Martin Luther King Jr. standing up for racism and civil rights and ultimately being assassinated because of it. I'm Scottish, so I automatically think of William Wallace, right? Braveheart. I think of man standing up to England those are the, now maybe you're sitting out there and you have people in your life that are bold, that you would say, man, I really consider this person bold in my life. Or maybe there's people that you can think of throughout history, wow, I really thought this person was bold. But I want us to remember that as we go through that, confident and courageous, fearless. Because I'm going to tell you today, that's what Christ is asking us to be in him. He's not asking you to be that on your own, because no matter how much you think you are that on your own, you're not. True confidence, true courage comes from being in Christ. One of the challenges that I, I, I've had as I was putting this together is I've realized that not just our church, but the church in general has lost its confidence and its identity in who we are. And as I thought about that, I man, we, we try so hard sometimes to be like the world because we think that if, if we can almost become like the world, that maybe that'll draw people in. And we forget that what God called us to be is not like the world. What's supposed to be attractive about the church is that we're not like the world. So when people look at the church, it's, it's not that they're supposed to look at a bunch of people that are perfect, living perfect lives. In fact, that's what a lot of our world has thought about the church. And then they see a pastor fall into sin and think... There's my phone. Uh, and think, how did he fall into sin? How did the pastor fall into sin? He's a Christian. But those of us who go to church, we know that we're far from perfect. We don't live perfect lives. But the one thing that we found that the world hasn't found is Jesus. And that right there is what people are supposed to look at and go, there's something different there. 
I can't tell what it's not like they're all perfect. Not like their marriages are all great. It's not like their kids are just walking around like the best things ever. Trust me, I spent a week with them. But they have something. They have a yearning. They have, they have a, a need for something. And I want what that is. That's what the church was called to be, a city on a hill. And that's what we have to figure out. Remember in Genesis, it said, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were created in the image of God. Our identity is found in who God is. I was laughing because... The more I've hung around Steve the past four years, the more I start to talk like Steve. And, I mean, you can ask Brooks or Shannon. There's been some times where I've said some stuff, where I, or, or Brooks will say something like, yeah, you should probably go tag with that person. And I'm like, dude, I've never heard you say tag with that person before. Or there was one time I was hanging out with somebody and I said, yeah, you just need to feather that out. I'll be honest, the first two years I worked here, I had no idea what feather it out meant. But the more I've hung out with Steve... I now understand what that means. I understand Steve's language because of how much I've hung out with him. So when he says something like that, I don't have to sit down with Steve and say, okay, you've got to explain the feathering it out and how that all works. I know what that means. So if I'm talking to him about someone and he said, go do that, that's, that's the lingo that I've learned from him. I want to say that's the same thing with God. When we're spending time in our word with God, when we're praying to God and we spend that time and put that time in, we are going to become more like him. We're going to start to talk like him. We're going to start to think like him. That's the way God created us. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we take worship and how do, we, how do we push that over our whole lives? How do we make that into our life? And that's what I want to talk about today. So let's pray real quick. Father, as we dive into a couple of points here on what we can do to look more like you, to live our lives pleasing to you, we just ask that you'd be with us, that for some of us, we've, we've heard this before, and it's just a great reminder of how we're supposed to worship you. And for others of us that maybe we haven't really been taught what true worship is, that that would stand out to us today, and we'd be able to walk away today with more of a knowledge of who you are, how much you love us, and how we can worship you with all that we are. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing, uh, I have four points that I want to make today, and feel free to write them down if you want to, but I think these are important reminders throughout your year that you have to take a look at, and you have to say, am I doing this? And the first point that I want to say is worship is a lifestyle. So many times we think it's a slow song. We think it's the first three songs as we come into church, and what, right? We say, worship was great today, or worship wasn't that great today. Um, it, it's, it's not a Sunday service. We may worship at that Sunday service, but it's not a Sunday service. It's, it's an action word. It's how we're going to live our lives. And so much of the time we get caught up in that. We get caught up in, in our own self. So what we're going to talk about today is that we're going to go out of Romans 12, 1 through 2. Let's read it all and then we'll break it down. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as I was breaking that down and as I was studying this week, the first thing that popped out to me is, well, some of us may have the question that we've never actually asked before. Why do we worship? Why? What's the motivation behind why we worship, why we should live a lifestyle of worship? And it tells us right here. It says, by the mercies of God. 
What are the mercies of God? Let me list some off for you. Eternal love, eternal grace, the Holy Spirit, everlasting peace, eternal joy, saving faith, comfort, strength, wisdom, hope, patience, kindness, honor, glory, righteousness, security, eternal life, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, freedom. These are the reasons that we worship God because these things we don't get without him. You don't get to experience true joy and life without Jesus. You don't. You don't get to experience true peace without Jesus. It's something you would never know. You may think you know it. You may think you know what the world has created joy to be, but you don't have a real idea of what true joy is without him. And those are the reasons that we should be giving back to God through worship because God, we wouldn't know any of this stuff without you. We would be none of this stuff without you. We wouldn't even have an opportunity without you. So it gives us our motivation right there because of the mercies of God. You see, God didn't have to save us. God didn't have to send Jesus. God didn't have, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. He didn't have to do that stuff. But he's a merciful God who's madly in love with us. And therefore, that's why we're living, that's why he calls us to live a lifestyle of worship that is holy and pleasing to him. The knowledge and understanding of those things, that's what brings us to sing praises, thanksgiving, bowing down. That, that is the motivation right there. And you want to know one of the reasons that we don't go all in for living a, a lifestyle of worship is comfort zones. In the past 10 years I've been in ministry, probably the thing I've preached on the most to like my old youth group and my old church and, and I've done it here a few times is we get stuck in comfort zones. Growth doesn't happen in comfort zones. Because comfort zones involve us. I, uh, my dad, we, we would always go down to someplace tropical because for vacation because in Colorado we'd get done with the long snowy winter and we'd be excited to go someplace hot. So we'd always go down to like Cancun or Cozumel or, or wherever we could go that was uh, cheap, but <laughs> it was a fun getaway. And my dad, as soon as we would get down there, we would always be looking for him and he would always somehow wind up in a place that had air conditioning, right? That was his go-to. As soon as we would go downtown and we were like, hey, we're going to go shop and stuff. Where's dad? We'd find him an hour later at the Rainforest Cafe because that was the only place that had air conditioning down there, right? That, that's where he was comfortable. He didn't like being out in the heat, even though we wanted to vacation away from Colorado to get out of the cold. When we got down into the extreme heat and humidity, the first thing he wanted to do was go to his comfort zone, right? And that's not bad. AC's not bad. But we get that way in our spiritual life with God. We get in our comfort zones. If you're going to write down one thing today, write this down. You grow the most in Christ outside of your comfort zone. That's where we grow the most in Christ. Because when we're stuck in what, what makes us comfortable, our living is all about us. And I get so excited when I see other people step outside of their comfort zones for Christ. Because guess what it does for me? It motivates me to step outside of my comfort zone. I preached down at youth camp the very first night on the rich young ruler. And guess what? Guess what? His comfort. He goes to Jesus and he says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns around and he goes, hey, you have to keep the commandments. You know, the ones I've told you do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery. Right. He says, great. I've done all those things. And then Jesus calls him out of his comfort zone. 
And he said, your comfort zone's money. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. And he walks away sad because he's not willing to get out of that comfort zone. His wealth, his money, everything that he had, he could live a comfortable life in that. But giving all that away and going and following, following Jesus, he doesn't know what that's going to entail, so he doesn't want to do that. When you think about it, all the disciples really had to get out of their comfort zones to go follow Jesus. But I, I will tell you this, none of those disciples, right, when, when, when a lot of them were martyred and stuff, are not going to tell you that getting out of their comfort zones and doing what Jesus had asked them is not worth it for them. See, one of, one of the problems that we struggle with sometimes as Christians is reading the word, but not doing the word. Francis Chan, if you know him, he told an awesome story once, and I really enjoyed it. He said, you know, I went to my daughter one day, and I told her, you need to go clean your room. And she said, okay. And she came back an hour later, and she said, Dad, I read an article online about how to clean my room. And he said, awesome. I'm proud of you. Uh, did you clean your room? She said, no. And he goes, okay, well, go clean your room. And, and she comes back later, and she says, Dad, I, I found a book that is an instructional about how to clean your room, and I had a bunch of friends over, and we had a little study. We went over it. And he goes, that's awesome. Now all they know. Did, did you clean your room? Well, well no. And then she comes back later, and she said, Dad, I took all my friends through it, and we pointed out all the things in the room that needed to be cleaned up. And he goes, great. Did you clean your room? No. He said, clean your room. Well, how often do we get like that as Christians? Yeah, I know you, you, you're in your word. I know you're reading it. When are you going to start doing it? Because it's great to have all the knowledge about it. This is what we're supposed to be and this and that. But until we actually start doing it and living in it, we're really not living in Christ until we do that. Because it's in him that we find that freedom. It's in him. If we can land in his comfort zone and just be okay with living our lives, knowing that I'm not going to live my life for myself anymore or what I'm comfortable with. If we get to the point in our lives where we can just say, Jesus, you take over and I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. Man, you're not going to be on your deathbed someday and say, man, you know, I wish I wouldn't have followed Jesus as much. I wish I would have done a little bit more for myself in this area or that. You're never going to get to that point. You're always going to, it's the same thing for parents that you, you've had kids grow up and they, they get out of the house. And as they're doing that, you always think, ah, I wish they were young for just one more day. I wish I would have spent one more day doing this with my kids. I wish, I wish this, or if someone ever passes away in your family, and ah, I wish I could have just spent one more day with them. You're never going to get to the end of your life saying, man, I wish I wouldn't have lived a lifestyle of worship for Christ. You're absolutely going to be glad that you did it. It's good for us to grow like that. The second point I want to make is worship is an act of obedience. The second part of this says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And this means giving all our humanness to God. Our hearts, our minds, our hands, our thoughts, our attitudes. See, I came from a very, very charismatic church, right, on the Pentecostal side and I remember growing up in the worship in that, and worship was awesome with that. They, like, the church just dove into it. It was what they were really excited for and everything. And they had a ton of heart. And then I switched over from that, and I moved to a Baptist church, right, both here and the last church I was at, Aurora Hills. And what I really appreciated was they put a lot of thought and mind into it. But each side was missing something. And this is where we have to grow as a church sometimes. We worship in spirit and in truth. 
And so on the charismatic side of things, there was some of the head knowledge that was missing. There was some of the, why are we doing this? Not just doing it to do it, but why are we doing this? What does the Bible say about it, right? And the big challenge I've had here and at Aurora Hills is we can sometimes get so caught up in our mind that we forget to engage our heart with it. That God's asking us to do both. He wants us to be knowledgeable. He wants us to be living in that truth. But he also wants us to express our hearts. And sometimes that's tough for us to do. Because once again, that takes getting out of our comfort zones. So in order to be obedient to God, we're having to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now is Jesus asking us to do anything that he didn't do himself? No, he's not. He's, he's asking us to do exactly what he did. Jesus sacrificed himself. And did he deserve to be up there? Did he deserve to be up on that cross? Did he deserve to be beaten? And No, he didn't. He did that for us. So what he's asking is, is to be obedient to him is going to be sacrificing what you want in this life for what he wants for you. And getting outside of ourselves. That's an important thing for us to remember. And we, we, we realize that when we get caught up in those things, how do we get refocused on God? If you're sitting there today and saying, man, I really have been living for myself a bunch. I really do. And I don't know how to get it out of my mind. Every time I, I feel like I'm going to do something for someone else, it just gets back in my mind to, you know, I don't want to, or I get lazy or this or that. Or every time I feel like I should do this for God, I end up not. How do we do that? By the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? We cleanse our mind in the word of God. That's why we have the Bible. Being obedient to following Jesus. Maybe you've had moments like me where I'm reading my word and I'm reading my word and I'm reading my word and I'm not getting anything out of it. And then slowly, since I'm not getting anything out of it, I slowly stop reading my word as much. And then all of a sudden the prayer goes down to where it just becomes thoughts. And then eventually... I get to this point where I'm not being obedient to God anymore. I'm just not doing it at all. And what I want to say is you have to push through that. You have to be obedient. You have to be diligent and continue to read your word and continue to pray because that's what God calls us to do. And the more we do that, the more our mind is going to be cleansed and we are going to become more like Jesus. That is the answer for how we get over ourselves. A lot of the times we think it's some special magic thing that we have to do. No, you have a Bible. Guess what? You're so awesome that you get to have a Bible. A lot of people in the world could be put to death if they're even caught with a Bible. And they would crave to have that Bible that sits home and gets dusty sometimes at our houses. They'd crave to have that. I've heard stories of, of, of kids that want a Bible so bad, a missionary finally brings them a Bible. And within like two weeks, they've memorized the book of Matthew because they're so hungry for it. But we don't get hungry for it anymore because we can provide for ourselves whatever we want at the drop of a hat. It's called a credit or a debit card. I can get whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, wherever I want. How does that make us depend on God at all? It doesn't. See, God created us to need him. He likes it when we need him. So we need to get over ourselves and start needing him. One thing I wanted to say about emotions too. Emotions are wonderful things. But unless they are shaped by truth, they can be destructive and out of control. God gave us emotions and stuff, but he called us to be in control of our emotions. 
I just wanted to point that out as well because maybe you struggle with having um, control of your emotions sometimes and you're going, how do I get that under control? Because I don't know how I can really worship God until I get my own self under control. Same thing, by renewing your mind, by cleansing your mind in the word of God. The third point I want to point out is worship is selfless, not selfish. This goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We were just talking about that. Our world is very selfish. Every ad you see on TV is, you need this car. You deserve this. You deserve this. You should go buy this. You'll be a better person if you have this. If you do this, 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 it's thrown at us. Our world tells us to do whatever you want, to live however you want. And this is saying, hey, don't be conformed to that. Be transformed by me. Be worried about what I want, because what I want is best for you. So when we realize that worship is selfless, we get a whole new idea of it. See, true worship is God-centered, and we tend to get caught up in where we should worship. Wonder, wonder where I should worship. What the music we should sing in the worship. How their worship looks to other people. And focusing on those things misses the entire point of worship. It misses it. And I'm going to tell you, I'm the first. I, when I go on vacation and me and Ellie go to a different church when we're gone, I'm, I mess up on this a ton. I will go into the church service and they will start worship. And I'll be focusing on like, really, they're doing this song? It's like 10 years old. Uh, and be quiet because I do some 10-year-old songs too. So, uh, But instead of looking at the words and going, wow, God, you're amazing, and I'm going to worship you in any circumstance I'm in, right? I start going, ooh, the bassist missed that note, Uh, right? And sometimes I have to kick myself, and by the third song, I have to say, Zach, you are what you hate. You're, you're, you're being the person who's not, you're not focusing on me. You're not focusing on, on, on loving me and, and singing praises to me. You're focusing on yourself and what your own preference is. And worship leaves our preferences at the door. So when you come through that door, Zach, you don't need to be bringing in your own preferences. You need to bring in a heart of worship and connect with me through anything. See, we, we, we feel like that. Like if the songs are the songs we know, then we can worship. Why do we raise our hands in worship? Do we do that just to do it? No. When you bow down to a king, what would they do? They'd bow down and they'd lift up their hands. Not because they had to, because that was the sign of respect. So when we lift our hands in worship and we we sing, I can tell you hundreds of passages of scripture that says, shout out loud and lift your hands to the Lord. But sometimes we struggle with that because it's not in our comfort zone. Right? We know what it says. But putting it into action is hard for us. And if we can't do it here, then it's going to be tough. Everybody here during the week, we believe the same thing. It should be easy to come in and worship here together through song and through tithes and offerings. And you you start to see it's not just the music side of things. This is the area where we all believe the same thing. So if we can't do it here, certainly it's going to be that much harder to take it out and do it in our own lives. We have to be willing to not think about ourselves when we come before God. We have to be thinking, God, what have you asked me to do and how can I do that well? How can I worship you well today? How can I wake up on that Monday morning knowing I've got a full week going, God, I'm putting you first this week. You get, like, lead me where I'm supposed to go because my flesh wants to lash out at that coworker or this or that. 
or my kids are really being annoying right now and they won't go to sleep and I'm getting ready to lose it. But God, how can I worship you in this situation and handle this well? Not how can I handle it with my flesh? Last point I want to make is worship is reserved for God only. I would say this is the point that stood out to me the most as I was putting this together. As I started thinking about, you know, we're really not called to worship anything else but God. And we wouldn't call it worship. But if you could think in your mind right now, we probably all have things that we'd put ahead of God in our lives. And we may not like that we do, but we do it. And God goes as far into into the word to say, hey, you can't even put your wife, you can't even put your kids in front of me. It's exactly, we talked about Abraham a little bit earlier. That's exactly what he did with Abraham as he asked Abraham, are you willing to even put the things most precious to you behind me and put me first? And when we realize what worship really is, that it's reserved for only God, that's a special thing that we get to do. We don't get to worship anything else. So if there's anything that you leave today that I want you pondering, I want you to ponder what are the things that I've been putting in front of God? What are the preferences that I bring in? What are, where, how can I be more selfless? Not just at church, but in my life. See, the way that you live your life is going to be the biggest testimony to somebody. We think it's going out there and, and sometimes we think standing on a corner and, and lifting up a sign is going to reach people. But the thing that's going to reach people the most is the way we live our lives. And they're going to look at us like we talked about at the beginning. There's something different with them. There's something different that they have that I don't have and I want it. And the reason they want it is because it's how they were created. Even if they don't like the God thing, they yearn for it. And we're going to be the ones that show it to them by the way we live our lives. We're not supposed to worship anything else. Steve says this a bunch, and I really like it. He said, worship is a get to, not a have to. We get to worship. It's an amazing thing. One of the things um, that we're going to do today for worship is we're going to take communion. We normally do it on the first Sunday of each month, but we had Larry speaking last week, sharing some stuff of what's been going on in Chad, and that was awesome. And we were just getting back from camp and everything, so we pushed it back. And I'm really glad that we did because we have an opportunity to act this out today and be one of the forms of worship that we're going to do. So I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time and pass out our offering. And as they're doing that, I'm just going to finish up on a few things here. I just made the point what makes Sunday morning so cool is that we have the opportunity to spend some time worshiping together in community. It's what Christ has asked us to do. Along with being in our word, along with renewing our mind, part of that comes from living life with people that are going through some of the same stuff as you. That can speak into your life. That can help you out. That when you're struggling and going through a rough time, you're able to go and talk to people about that. And they're able to encourage you in your word. They're able to talk to you about the rough times that you're having. And it's got to be more than just Sunday mornings that that happens. Is Can I just tell you right now, if Sunday mornings is the only time that you're worshiping and fellowshipping with people during the week, you're doing something wrong. And it's okay to be called out on that. 
We're supposed to be worshiping continually. Friendships are so important. All of that is so important to God. True worship on Sunday mornings is going to come out of what God's been doing in you during the week. And if you haven't been spending time with God during the week, you've really got no reason to come in on Sunday mornings and worship, right? Because you haven't experienced anything with him during the week. He hasn't been leading you. There's nothing that new that you've learned. And sometimes we do that. We reserve Sunday mornings. If it doesn't get in the way of the football game, maybe we'll come in and we'll spend it. And hey, I've hit church two out of four Sundays this month. I'm doing pretty good. Now, God's not up there keeping a tally that you get there. And he's like, okay, you missed 540 Sundays of... of No, the whole reason we're supposed to come here is because this is an opportunity for us to grow and for us to celebrate together what Christ has done, for us to partake in things like this and remember who Jesus was and remind ourselves, I know it's hard, I know it's not easy, but remember what we're doing this for. It's not ourselves. So trust that at the end of the day, when it's been hard and it's been long, Jesus went through much harder days. And he's called us to be willing to sacrifice that and do it for him. So one of the things that the Bible says before we partake in communion is to have an opportunity to repent. To have an opportunity to take the things that we've looked at today and go, God, where in my life have I not worshipped you well? Where in my life do I keep staying in the comfort zone that you keep trying to push me out, but I don't want to go there? Where in my life have I not given myself completely to you? And I want to start that today. Do you want to know the awesome thing about Jesus? It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. You can start new again today right now. Isn't that an awesome thing? That you don't have to live with all that. You don't have to say, wow, I really have been a horrible worshiper. I really haven't done a good job worshiping God. Because the devil's going to tell you, good, keep running from that. You're right, you're not worthy of it. And guess what? I'll tell you right now. You're not worthy of it. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, he said, no, no, no. You are worthy. And that's why I died on it for you. Is that you can return to me. I know you're full of sin. We sin every day and we probably don't even realize it sometimes that we sin. But he's saying, no, no, no. Don't be pulled down by that. Be bold. Be bold. Know who I am. Know that I'm courageous. I'm fearless. And I am that in you if you accept me in there. I am that with you. So as long as I'm in here, you don't have to worry about that during the week. You don't have to let Satan beat you up on all your little flaws and all the things that you don't think you're good at. And when you look in the mirror, you're not seeing who Christ made. You're looking in the mirror, pointing at all the things about you that you don't like. We don't have to be that. We can look in the mirror confident going, I'm going to be more like Christ today. I'm going to make the decision to be more like Christ today. I'm going to get in my word today. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to love my husband. I'm going to go after this. Even if They don't deserve it. Even if they've been bad to me, I'm still going to give that to them because that's what Christ did to me and I don't deserve it at all, so I'm going to do it. So bow your heads real quick. I want you to just think about, for just a few seconds, I want you to think about what are those things in your life that you haven't worshipped God well with, that you've put in front of God, that God's calling you and saying, you can do this better, I believe in you, you can do this better. Spend some time telling them, say, God, I want to try harder. I want to start fresh today with you. I don't want this to make this about me. I want to make this about you.
Amen. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it says, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. It says, in the same way, he took up the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink of it. Amen. Now, I want to do something different as we uh, go into worship this last song that we... uh, we don't do a ton, but I, I really felt called to do this with you guys this morning. So I want you guys all to stand up. And we're going to read some scripture together. We're going to read it out loud, okay? It's Psalm 95. And I want us to think about, as we read this out loud, I want us to think about what it's saying and how awesome it is. This should excite you, okay? Let's go ahead and read this together. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is ours and are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Isn't that amazing how awesome our God is? Isn't that amazing that he says we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand? You have that today. You own that today. If you have found Christ and accepted him in here, you get to claim that today. You are his and he is yours. That gives us something to sing about today. Let's worship. 